Welcome into TFW Live, the best kept secret in fantasy football, where we keep that week one feeling going all year long. I'm Big Travi, and I'm joined here by my best friends, Johnny Gametime Hicks and Austin Sear. And also by you, Whisper Nation, what's going on? As always, we love to shout out Whisper Nation, all you guys in the chat. But those of you that are also new to us and, and followed us on social media, Boost Fantasy Sports, GNCFA, I think. Whoa. Uh, Tony, Jeffrey, Craig, Ch Greg Chamberlain. Uh, and if you guys love fantasy football, you want to join a community where you know you belong, hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. We're trying to get just one more subscriber on this stream. Just one more could be you. And if you're new, let us know where you're streaming from. We'd love to shout you out right here on the show. We appreciate you guys in the chat, Ronald, Mike, Albert, the crew. Today's episode, though, we're joined by a very, very special guest, Rich Rebar from Sharp Football Analysis. You can get his work over on sharpfootballanalysis.com. That link is in the description. You can follow him on Twitter, at Lord Reeves. How are you doing, Rich? What's going on, man? Gentlemen, how is everybody this evening? I'm glad that you guys invited me on. We can make this happen. Uh, yes. I'm looking forward to it. Hell yeah. Yeah, man, we're stoked. Uh, you have you do some great work over there. Obviously, we'll get into some of the stuff with the Konami code, which you're kind of dubbed and, and credited with creating and talking about this cheat code with uh, Russian quarterbacks. But before we get into that, We'll let uh, Whisper Nation get to know you a little bit. We got some rapid-fire questions here we wanted to ask you about. So we'll start here. Do you root for your NFL team or your fantasy team more? Uh, I mean, I no longer have an NFL team. <laughs> oh, uh, it's been a long time <laughs> kind of coming. Uh, I mean, I, I grew up, I actually, you know, I never had a, a, a football, like, push into me. Like, my dad was never really into the NFL, so – we grew up and, you know, I'm, I'm older. I'm is the eighties and, you know, the, the Browns, I'm, I live outside of Cleveland and the Browns used to be on at one o'clock and I'd watch the AFC beat the hell out of each other for three hours. And then the 49ers would always be on at four o'clock. And like, as a kid, I'd be like, this was a whole different game than like, what, what game are these guys playing? So I grew up kind of <laughs> always liking the 49ers, like Bill Walsh and Joe Montana, those guys, just because, you know, watching the AFC for three hours and watching the style of football they were playing, I was like, this is way more fun and, and loving that. But I knew I was officially out when they made the Super Bowl three years ago against the Chiefs. And like, I still legitimately, I felt nothing at all. And I was like, wow. oh, I'm completely wiped. I know that my slate is clean. Uh, you know, it's just be, it's not even a fantasy thing from an analysis standpoint. It's just being exposed to all the other fan bases at once. And, you know, and, and I would ask my wife, I'd be like, was I like this dude? And she was like, sometimes. And I was like, shit, this is like, <laughs> wow. like a, you know, it's like seeing yourself in the mirror. And I was just like, man, like this ain't worth it. Like who wants to live their life like this, man? It'd be at the mercy of some laundry. Uh, so I, I've been able to be removed from it. And uh, I have no ill will to anyone that is still a fan of their team, whatever brings you joy in life. But uh, I'm grateful to have been absolved of, of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine it feels like a bit of a weight lifted off you for sure. Uh, what what year did you start playing fantasy football, Rich? Oh man, early '90s. Like I said, I'm an '80s. I'm an '80s kid. Uh, I remember going to like school, uh, like you know, fifth, sixth grade with like sheets of like pickums where you pick players out of groups. We'd all throw in like a dollar, and like the highest scoring team would win the pot for that week. Uh, you know, that's not official fantasy, but I remember that's like when we started like yeah. and do stuff. Uh, you know, picking stuff out of the newspaper and stuff too, like the stats. Uh, you know, this is like you know, pre-computer, not to be like a back in my day thing, but as you know, like, <laughs> love it. Actually, like yeah. uh, you know, I joined my father-in-law's like league when I first met my wife, and they still like had like universal like 
stories where they had to have a one paper is all they were allowed to use to like do the scoring because people would like wouldn't get the Monday night scores in time. So they had to like vote on like the official paper they used the stats and stuff like that. Mistakes. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's 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 fun to like think about some of that old stuff now. And uh now it's all crazy. We've got half point for you no know, extra catches for tight ends. We're doing point yeah, per so Scott Fish is doing something every year. Yeah, right. Yeah, Scott, Scott Fish right. is incorporating something weird every season in, in the fishbowl. Well you've seen <laughs> A lot of years of this fantasy football. Uh, what about a favorite player of all time? I mean, like I said, I, I grew up like that part. Jerry Rice was always my guy as a kid. Mm. It's a bummer he's not like a like a real cool like adult like, but like as a player, <laughs> uh, like old man Jerry Rice like on these like popper commercials and shit. Like, with these, like yeah, I mean he's out here hawking stuff. Like, come on, Jerry. Like, you know, man. Like, well, we had know. Dwayne on Dwayne McFarlane on, and he said that he has a great story with Jerry Rice where he actually prank called his friend. Oh, really? So. Yeah, so Jerry, maybe, yeah, Jerry prank called his friend. Yeah, nice. yeah. All right, yeah. So, yeah. All right, man. He is cool. With, yeah, you know, it's like Brett Favre, maybe not cool because he does the proper commercials too, but I, I think Jerry might be all right. <laughs> just to fill him in really quick on that one because I know we got to run to it, but it was just so good. And if you haven't listened to it, guys, go back and listen to the Dwayne McFarlane episode. But he was with Jerry Rice at an event, and they were talking oh. to their buddy who was trying to get people to sign up for their flag football league. And he's like, oh, I got a guy. And he's like, oh, can he play? He's like, he's all right. Like, you'll let you talk to him. He's like, yo, man, yeah, I play. And he's like, reading all sorts of like, who am I talking to? He's like, I'm Jerry fucking Rice, bro. And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> I have the Jerry. I have Jerry Rice thing here. Oh, oh nice. So, yeah, I still have it. Uh, yeah. I still have some some old, like, memorabilia stuff. But, yeah. yeah. I, well, I've seen, I was looking at pictures for you for, like, the thumbnail. And they've got a few pictures of you in, like, Niners gear. That's it, yeah, that, yeah. There, there, there's one picture of me on the internet apparently that everyone uses uh and it's from like an old dlf article a dynasty league football like how you play article and i want to say it's from like 2014 or 2015 but everyone uses it uh still for every thumbnail yeah so you you zach morris, i didn't I, use I'm that not, one. <laughs> i'm not in a lot of pictures and you know my uh, thing is uh zach morris so yeah uh, fair enough yeah, so yep uh least favorite football player fantasy football player of all time my my least favorite? Yeah. I mean, oh, that's that's a tough one. Uh, I'm trying to think like maybe the one that burned one that's burned you. Maybe even more recently uh, that you're. Um, I, I don't know if it's I can cut, put this on the player, but you know I remember I think it was 2016, 2017 when it was fantasy finals and like it was the the week the Jaguars were playing the Saints and like I remember having both Tim Hightower and Denard Robinson. And I like jammed in Denard Robinson and Tim Hightower like 30 points. I'll never forgive Denard Robinson, but it's more my fault. It's more my own fault than it is Denard's. Now I don't blame no shoelaces. uh, Tim Hightower was on one of my fantasy championship teams. Oh, he won everybody's money. Yeah, except for me. He's a special place in my heart. (laughs) Yeah, except for you. (laughs) (laughs) How about your favorite fantasy football team name? You get creative with those team names? Uh, My kind of go-to is in a van down by the rebar, which is like nice. Now I will say my wife. My wife had a dynasty team, and I, I and uh, her team name for a year. She had Andre Johnson and Calvin Johnson together, like through their apex. And her team name was No More Tears with the Johnson and Johnson. Nice. Uh, and I always respected that. I love yeah. that one. But my go-to is always in a band down by the rebar. Love that. that. Both of those are great. <laughs> love that. What is a sound or noise that you love, Rich? Uh, I mean, keeping things relatively PG. Uh, I would say <laughs> oh, no. like. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, listen, yeah, I, I like the, the, the air horn I provided for, for JJ, the point, yeah. point, point you know, yeah. I, I stick with that. Nice, nice, nice and tried and true there. There you go. Favorite swear word. Uh, I mean, 
Fuck is the most versatile swear word. I will say an underrated swear word, and I haven't brought this up. Uh, no one uses twat anymore. Like, oh, oh okay, I like you know, that. Like, it yeah. feels kind of good to say too. Like, especially you know, like a rip off someone. Like, man, what a twat! Like, you know, yeah. Like, uh, I feels like more of a back. British. Can you bring twat back. Yeah, <laughs> I like I like twat and I like prick too. Like, oh, he's a prick. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like oh, it's prick. prick. You know, yeah. I want to bring. They're not like official swears, but like I want to bring that that like era of like that that mm. stuff back. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, what are the most leagues you played in at one time, Rich? Oh man, I mean, like not like managed lineup leagues, like in the 30s. I'm in the 20s now, but uh, yeah, still a lot, still play a lot. Do you have a certain system or uh, software that you use to manage all those leagues, or you just kind of have to rip through it? Uh, no, I still rip through it like an old school lunatic, but I mean, yeah. Scott Fish has stuff, you know, uh, out there that you can, that you can use to aid yourself. But if I don't, if I'm not as, if I do like the automated thing, I just feel like I'm not as hands-on and like paying attention to actually like the ebb and flow of the league. That makes sense. How about a most exciting fantasy football moment for you? Uh, oh, I mean, there's so many. I mean, the mostly are just like when you make good calls. Like I remember playing say say or Jirotodu for the uh, Chargers when he had the two touchdowns against the Texans. Mm-hmm. It might be the only two touchdowns he ever scored. Um, but I will say the the number one is probably when I won my first DFS tournament, and it coincides with me being early into fantasy and analysis. And it's uh, week one, 2014, uh, starting Alan Hearns uh, and kind of suggesting to people because it helped not only did I win a lot of money, it felt cool because Alan Hearns did it, but I was like pimping Alan Hearns too, like saying like, you know, Cecil Shorts is out. You got to play this dude. It was his first start. Oh. He, he had ripped it up the entire preseason. Uh, they were playing the Eagles. And I think I stacked him with Macklin, who had like 100 and a touchdown too. And Hearns caught, they scored two touchdowns all game and Hearns caught both. Uh, yeah, I mean, and he, you know, it was my first like takedown. Vindicated. Because when you win that first DFS tournament and you're in that sweat, it that that's a different type of feeling than winning your fantasy league. And like, we've got great championship round stories and moments like that, but like winning that, that DFS takedown, it's, it's still that rich. That's one. like the. The That's like one. the nine-year-old at the in the basketball, like yeah. in the front yard, doing the three, two, one, and like every kid's fantasy, like that. You lived it out. You got to make the call, and yeah. you hit, and you won a DFS tournament. I don't know if it gets better than that. Yeah, That's yeah. That, that, that was. Uh, I'll live on that one for a while. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still here Talk. because of Alan Hearns. So yeah, I owe you Alan Hearns <laughs> out there. Got uh, a jersey. He wasn't even in London that week either. Seemingly, like Alan Hearns scored like ninety percent of his career touchdowns in London. In London, those, yeah. Those are uh, the two he, he he did score in London. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, how about your favorite game day beverage, Rich? Uh, I mean, I used to drink a, a lot of beers when I was younger during football. I can't drink as many, especially like, the craft beers, man. People like they, they started to take a toll. Me, this is me just being an old man again, uh, you know. <laughs> but you know, I I used to be able to sit there and drink a ton of beers, and then on Sunday, it's like, man, if I drink three or four craft beers, I'm like, I feel slow. Yeah. Uh, so, so now I now I switch. Man. I mean, my, my thing now is uh, uh and you know, I'm, I'm gonna get a, a lot of shit from like whiskey, Twitter, and all this shit. But I love like the Peach Crown. I did like a peach flavor crown. Okay. It's, I mean, listen, I'm not like, telling people like, oh, you should get crown. It's top notch. It's like a $25 bottle. Right, of, right. Like, big but like, I just love that shit. I sip on there. Cause I don't, I just pour a little water in it. We're good to go. We just drink it. But uh, I brought this up once to uh, Scott fish and uh, you know, it, it, as in Canton last year at the expo. And he was like, that's not even real. Like that's not real. Like whiskey. I'm like, dude, I'm not, I don't, I don't have, Hundred dollars bottle of whiskey. My twenty dollars bottle of whiskey gets me drunk. I feel good off of it. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, this is a real fantasy football. All right, you know, exactly. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so everyone wants to roll their eyes because they've got, you know, they're big. We'll drink some peach there. whiskey with yeah, you, bro. Yeah, yeah, we got you. Pour some out peach whiskey and water. We'll see you at the next one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boneless or bone in on your wings? Uh, bone in for sure, man. Get a nice, you know, the, 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 the nice flat if you can get it. Uh, absolutely. Love flat flat man all the way. Uh, the problem with, with the drums, and I don't mind you can get a drum if you get it at a good place. The problem is was you run into a place that doesn't have like a great quality wing and it's like half cartilage and you're just mm. like like what did this did this chicken tear his ACL like three times? Like what is this? Like, what is all this? <laughs> like, he's got Todd Gurley. You, like, you can't even bite it. It's just like, you know, that's so, I mean flats all the way. Uh, oh, I love it. Oh my god. Kickoff is in two minutes. You're still deciding your flex, Rich. Do you go with your gut or are we going to sharp football analysis for your rankings? I mean, you should check my rankings, but uh, I always tell people never to be a slave to rankings. I mean, there's so much nuance that goes into, because especially when you think about like rankings, and this is my, I have a, not to go on a tangent here, but my beef with like rankings in general and how people like treat them in fantasy is still such, so misled, but it's such like an SEO driver and people love them. It gets so many clicks and stuff. But like, when you think about like rankings outside of like the top five in position, like where are the margins? Like, because I have a, my, what's my wide receiver 22 versus my wide receiver 29? Like what's the margin? there it's a mm. lot tight it's tighter than it is comparing the wide receiver five versus that wide receiver 22 so i always tell people you know think about mm. your lineup uh think about who you're playing into your lineup are you like a big dog do you feel like you need to go with more upside uh you know those types of situations add a lot more nuance in terms of setting a lineup and i always tell one thing that people still don't utilize the most and it's still it's a still people bring up the dfs community but a lot of people don't do it in their home leagues too is not like changing their lineups throughout the course of the afternoon, like based on like what happened at one o'clock. What do you need? Are you chasing points at four o'clock? Like, can mm-hmm. you, are there swaps you need to make like that? And we always get on people in DFS that don't utilize late swap. That applies to your home leagues too. Uh, you know, definitely a lot of people just set that lineup at 1255 and start watching the games and they start sweating stuff out. It's like, dude, you might be able to make a more upside move to run a guy down or made like a safety play or do some different things like that. Uh, throughout the course of the day. So there's a lot more nuance that goes into it. But I mean, for sure, if you're going to click on some stuff, click on my rankings. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you get access to those in the description. as well. I liked what you said there, too, because the other nuance, too, like we do it in our league of record is picking up that backup running back for the Sunday night game, yeah. you know, in case uh, the, the starter goes down. So I, I like you bringing that in there. Last question here. What is your favorite position to draft from in th- this year, 2022? Uh, I hate to be chalky, but top four still right now. And we'll see if it changes like as we progress. But, you know, I love the idea. And if you want to extend it to five, it's fine. But I love the idea of just being able to get either Jonathan Taylor, CMC, Justin Jefferson, or Cup. Uh, and then bringing able to like still get like one of those like alpha potential running backs coming back and maybe even two or three of those guys. Because you have a lot of just kind of fluidity. You, if you start Jonathan Taylor or CMC, you can add a guy like Saquon. And I know a lot of people are out on Saquon. But you have insulation. Like if Saquon's your RB2 by starting a great RB1, that's like awesome. You could run into like a juggernaut because nothing provides positional leverage like having a top high scoring running back in fantasy football. Uh, And, you know, if Alvin Kamara ends up not getting suspended, which still isn't set in stone, like he's another one of those guys. Like you have a chance to get two or three of those guys on rosters now, especially at that turn. Saquon's been pumping up because the industry is finally starting to push him up a little bit. Yeah. Um, But you just have, and then you figure if you, and then if you also go Justin Jefferson or Cup to start, you still then have that chance at still getting one of those guys that has one of those top five kind of, uh, you know, running back upside type seasons before you hit that dead zone. So it feels chalky to say top four, but I mean, history has shown like it's still, you're playing so much catch up. That's why third round reversal is starting to get more popular because it's just so hard to win leagues in the back third uh, of your drafts. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We've heard a lot of people say in the middle, but I like that you broke it down to like kind of get a little oh, bit. I hate the middle, man. Yeah. God, I hate the middle. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. You're just in the middle all the time. Like, because I don't mind being in the end too. You get a couple in a row. Give me a couple picks in a row. Because sometimes, like we said, the margin between a guy I might want to pick might be tight. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> well, speaking of drafting, we're going to be doing a ton of it next month and almost this month in July for the Mock Draft Marathon. Going to play a little bit of a clip here to let you know what's coming. Mock Draft Marathon. What is this? It's consecutive mock drafts for a total of 24 hours. Requires hours and even years of preparation. Which is a little bit controversial, but... Are you shitting me, Johnny? I didn't plan that, I swear. I can pretty much say 100%. Something that you really love to do. Well, the games begin. Somebody came in and stole Johnny, and they're hijacking his draft. Are you going to blame it on a 78-year-old neighbor? Damn it, you guys stuck in a super flex? I knew it. Ball is going to taste different than this meatball. That's not that bad from a flex. Outliers decide fantasy Stand out above the crowd. About the same set of 200 players, and it never gets old. That's right, July 23rd and 24th for 24 straight hours. We're mock drafting with all you maniacs, so make sure you hit that subscribe button and join us there later this month. All right, time to get into some news and notes here with the panel and we are going to start off here with Miles Sanders appearing on NBC Sports Philly's Takeoff with John Clark on the podcast. Miles Sanders said, I need more opportunities when asked what he needs to get better this season. He's also been quoted saying, don't draft him in fantasy uh, because he he needs more touches and he, he seemed visibly frustrated. Uh, Rich, are you kind of buying into his frustration as, as like the state of the Eagles and we should be wary of this because Sanders was kind of looking at an ADP where he's kind of a value um, if he's going to be part of another big rushing pie. Listen, I've been telling my wife for a few years, I just need more opportunities to get more consistent. (laughs) (laughs) Still not not happening. Uh, You know, Miles Sanders is interesting for a couple levels uh, because, like, everyone's kind of right. Like, he's going to score a touchdown this year. But, like, it's the ancillary stuff with Miles Sanders that's a concern, and it's the stuff that he's kind of alluding to without, like, outright saying. Uh, You know, this is a team that's going to run the football. He's been hyper-efficient. They're – the, the RPL runs uh, are going to be looking at his, his yards for touch have been over five yards for touch every year of his career, but how many touchdowns is he going to score? He's, he's, he hasn't scored more than six touchdowns in his career yet in a season. Uh, his receiving work has just plummeted every year by year. He's hardly catching the football. So like, those are just, it's like an archetype of running back. I just don't really want. And then when you look at the Eagles in totality, like th- look at this. So I just posted an article today on the site that talks about like touchdown dispersal and 56% of the Eagles touchdowns were rushing last year. It was the eighth highest rate of any team in the NFL since 2010. Uh, the seven teams ahead of them all rushed for fewer touchdowns the following season, an average of 7.8 fewer rushing touchdowns as a team. Now that's going to impact Jalen Hurts more probably a little bit with the 10 rushing touchdowns he had, but like how many more, like what kind of touchdowns is Miles Sanders going to score? We know he's going to score more than zero, but like, is he a guy that's going to threaten to score like eight, 10, Probably not. And like I said, without him catching the football, like just not really the kind of back I'm interested in like taking a shot on. Although I can see where people say like, yeah, I drafted him here and he finished above that ADP. 
but he's going to be a guy that like you're probably going to talk yourself out of playing on a, a good number of weeks because he'll have a three or four week stretch where he doesn't score a touchdown and he's not catching enough passes to insulate his scoring and you might bench him for a week if he has a tougher matchup and then that'd be the week he scores and you're like well what the hell I'm not going to get it right like I'm just not really interested in the archetype of player Miles Sanders is and it's frustrating because I think he is like potential like arbitrage and like a guy like J.K. Dobbins uh, in a similar like kind of offense relying on big plays not going to catch the ball a lot. But uh, like I said, not really my kind of guy. Travi, I just wanted to throw in there real quick. If anybody hadn't actually listened to Miles Sanders comment on that question, there was such a sincerity and a defeated tone in his voice where it was like, he's like, look, I've told you, don't draft me. He's like, two (laughs) things came out. One, the system is not going to allow him to get the opportunity that he wishes and two, he wished that he did have more, but it's just not going to be happening. Like, the, he paused for so long, and he's like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I, and so, I love like, it. I, I'm fading on that one now. That was real to me. I love <clears> the <throat> honesty. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense there. Moving on to Kareem Hunt, contract year. Kareem Hunt declared himself 100% healthy after missing nine games with a calf and ankle injury. Johnny, I'll go to you here. Uh, with the Deshaun Watson suspension looming, does Brissett kind of scare you off from Hunt, um, or are you still willing to kind of take Hunt at ADP right now? Uh, I think I'd still be able to, I'd still be willing, depending on what your team roster was shaking up to be. He is a good running back when he's used even on limited touches. And then again, if anything does happen to Nick Chubb, which he's been known to miss games, then you've got a, a really good running back right there in Kareem Hunt. Uh, so, and like Jacoby isn't a terrible quarterback. He can get the job done. Uh, I think Baker's better, but, you know, Jacoby know. can get the, Yeah, <laughs> that is what it is at this point. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to Washington where Brian Robinson uh, is getting some noise here. The Athletics' Ben Standing writes that Brian Robinson could be an answer for Washington in goal line or short yardage situations. Um, I'll start with you, Austin, but maybe kind of work around the panel just a little bit on this because – Gibson just keeps having losses, it seems like, in the offseason. You know, and these are on-paper losses, right? You know, J.D. McKissick coming back, Brian Robinson. But um, are we still – I mean, he's being pushed down in ADP. Is he become worth it for you, Austin, or are you still – are you wary of this news at all? I personally am not concerned about Antonio Gibson until I actually see something, not just read something on this. I get there's a lot of arrows pointing towards the concern button on Antonio Gibson, but I was concerned when he had a fractured shin for almost all of last season, and then he still finished as an RB1 back end, albeit, but an RB1 still with J.D. McKissick getting all that passing down work that we've been pleading for Antonio Gibson to get this entire time because then he's a top five back or whatever it's going to be. He's already an RB1 in back-to-back seasons. He played on a broken shin last year. He hasn't had any locker room concerns that I've heard of or anything else like that. It makes sense for an NFL team to bolster their running back core. That makes a lot of sense. And if you've got a great goal line back and a Brian Robinson and a great pass catching back and a J.D. McKissick and then kind of a great early down overall back there and an Antonio Gibson, a lot of that makes sense. So if that's the role, that's like worst case scenario for me. I'm still seeing a decently utilized running back who might be a bit overpriced at his ADP. But I think this news is going to drive Antonio Gibson's ADP down. And I'm going to say 
all of this news could end up being a mirage. Brian Robinson might not end up being that good. Antonio Gibson's shin is healthy. He's getting more goal line work. And he ends up splitting passing down work with J.D. McKissick, which we did see a little bit happening before Antonio Gibson's shin happened. So he could be a value, but these are all pieces of news that we will just have to wait and see. That's how I'm looking at this right now. Rich, the trouble for me here when I look at this is this is the same coaching staff that told us they're going to use them like CMC and then didn't. And then it's now the same coaching staff that says they're going to split the workload. So, like, can we believe them or like in your experience, what are you what are you looking at here? Yeah, I mean, typically I, I, I kind of am interested in the dip in him a little bit. The problem is by the time you typically where Antonio Gibbs is even falling to, like, I just feel good about my running back room and the more, majority of drafts I do. So he's not a guy I personally like push, but I'm interested in Washington altogether. I kind of feel like their entire team's a little bit undervalued for fantasy. Uh, they've they've got one of the easiest like schedules on paper in the NFL. They've got one of the best passing schedules in the NFL. They we know Terry McLaurin's good. His ADP I think is way too low. Uh, you know, as much as we don't like Carson Wentz the player, uh, you know he's still you know Grin and Bear. He is the best quarterback Terry McLaurin's had. They add Jahan Dotson. Uh, Curtis Samuel's still only 26 years old. The last time Curtis Samuel played a full season, he led all NFL wide receivers in touches. They've got a really good offensive line. We know the defense has talent to play a lot better than what they did last year, even if they don't reach the, where they were in 2020. I kind of feel like this is an undervalued team in general. Um, but like it said, it, it's kind of just where I'm at roster-wise with Antonio Gibson. If I've gone extremely wide receiver heavy, I actually don't mind it. I mean, I think last year was actually a, a kind of a positive for him. He's not a, he's a guy I was like pumping the brakes on la- last year when he jumped up like kind of be like that first unit. He was getting like around the turn. Um, but he had 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns in a year where, like, he basically, like, his shin bone was cracked. And, like, uh, like he, was still, he still is a really good player. Um, and he scored a ton of touchdowns two years in the NFL. So as long as that doesn't get pulled from and, you know, like you guys brought up, if, you know, there's no visual evidence yet. Like, Brian Robinson also, a guy, does, his resume is just not very good. No. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he – this dude averaged five yards per carry on the button at Alabama for his career, uh, which is like averaging like three and a half yards per carry, like really like anywhere else. Like, I mean, <laughs> the Alabama adjustment. <laughs> I, mean, all, I mean, I still, I'm going to really pause, uh, like, because I mean, I'm at kind of agnostic to running back talent in general. So, like, hey, like, you don't have to be that good if you're just getting the football, uh, especially for fantasy. But, like, I definitely don't believe, like, Brian Robinson's a guy that's like going to go out there and, like, they're, the touches they give him, everyone's going to be like, you know what? Like, shit, we got to give him a lot more touches. I don't right. really think that's the case either. <laughs> yeah, so, right. uh, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let Brian Robinson cook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Brian Robinson. Uh, want to touch back in on Terry McLaurin. We know that like he's one of your guys. You love Terry McLaurin quite a bit. You can see it on Twitter. He got paid here. Rich, really quickly on the Carson Wentz factor for Terry McLaurin. You, you know, you said it, Grin and Barrett, he's the best quarterback he's faced. What about Wentz's game do you like for Terry McLaurin? Is it that YOLO ball that he likes to throw quite a bit? Well, I mean, so the biggest thing so far as you look at Terry McLaurin, like where he struggled is getting catchable targets downfield. Uh, you know, especially, you know, like last year, low, lowest catchable target rate for all receivers, the hundred more targets. Uh, and then downfield, you know, he was only able to secure 11 of those 33 targets. Carson once last year, actually, you know, fourth in the NFL in on target rate on throws 30 or more air yards downfield. Uh, Taylor Heineke was 26. So, I mean, it's going to give him at least a window. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and stump for Carson once the NFL quarterback. I'm not. <laughs> 
Uh, I will snub for Carson Wentz at least being better than Taylor Heineke and at least gives us hope. And yeah. like Taylor McCorn is a guy for two years in a row, like people have been like pushing and I get it. But anytime you have that in fantasy football, people are like, oh, you know, pull me once, pull me twice, you know, I'm not getting back on board. But this is a guy that's regularly going the fourth and fifth round that we know is going to have, you know, a, a 22 to 25% target share. We know he has the upside. I mean, you look at like work that like Matt Harmon's done at Reception Perception and that's all up there, not to spoil some of his work, but like, you know, he has Terry McLaurin graded out as like a receiver on where he wins, right? Like just a little bit below like where Justin Jefferson was performing last year. Yeah. Like that's the kind of talent Terry McLaurin is. And now these vagabond quarterbacks have sagged him down and that could still be a problem this year. Uh, but I think he's still at, at his cost. And like I said, I think Washington in general could be a little bit of an undervalued team. Uh, I've been trying to just jam him in where he's going because I still feel like he can get steamed up a little bit the rest of the way. Uh, but like you said, when you have a guy that's like gone a couple years, because you even see this with CMC, although his ADP doesn't reflect it, but because so many people in the industry push him up, see tweet anything about CMC and go or just go watch the replies of what anyone tweets. People will just it, it people are like nope, not drafting him, no, not drafting him. That's what you have a little bit with Terry McLaurin and these types of players that don't necessarily pop in full. They're like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. It's yeah, all green. Not- I yeah, mean, not showing off. Yeah, the, Terry McLaurin. The, the money he's got too. It's all green. All the yeah, money. Right? <laughs> hey, that's a hundred. But here, here's the other reality. Every we always love to hate on Carson Wentz. But what did he do last year? Oh, produce the number one running back in all of fantasy and Jonathan Taylor. And then everyone who's the new hotness this year, Michael Pittman, will he finish as wide receiver 17 last year? So how is that not good? Like, how are we not looking and screaming, hey, that's a clear value? Uh, I'm not saying that Gibson is going to finish, you know, number one overall, but I'm just saying, like, Wentz can move the ball here. And he's definitely, like you said, way better than whatever they've had in the last few years. Not to be and like keep going on this, but the reason Jonathan Taylor uh, was the RB one is because they were trying to hide Carson Wentz. Like, so like that's yeah, I mean, sure. Michael he did. Pittman, he did, he did still finish yeah, wide receiver seven. I, I just yeah. Carson no, Wentz the produced the number one running back. Travis, suck it down. Suck <laughs> yeah. it down. Yeah, and also that's good. He did yeah. produce it because he wasn't throwing in the red area. So yeah, right. he still helped right. produce it. All right, so we'll move on here to Pat Fryermuth of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the athletic. Mark uh, Caboli writes of Pat Firm, Friermuth, season high receiving yardage 58 in 2021. That with Eric Ebron gone, that number will go up. Austin, what's your feeling on the Muth here? Because we're going to have, you know, either Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett difference there. We have all these other pass catchers there. Um, and, and he was just not a big yardage guy, but he did do some really nice things as a rookie. He certainly did do some really nice things as a rookie. You love the seven touchdowns that he picked up with Big Ben behind center. But Pat Fryermuth, I do believe, benefited from the status of Big Ben's arm strength. And I am just not convinced Pat Fryermuth deserves more than the Jag tag. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I'm just going to wait and see a little. I'm not thirsting for Pat Fryermuth. He is one of those guys, though, that you're if you're delaying tight end, I'm happy to pick him up further down the list. But is it going to be Pat Fryermuth or Jonu Smith at the end of the year with more fantasy points overall? We'll see. Um, I'd probably still take Fryermuth at this point, but I'm just waiting and see. And I, I, I think he benefited from some variables last year that are no longer going to exist. Kirk Cousins is looking to benefit from a new head coach. Kevin O'Connell's offense has been labeled as pass happy from the athletics, Chad Graff um, and Arif Hassan. So um, 
Rich, you talked about Washington being kind of this underrated offense. We've been having a few guests on here talking about, you know, just how not having Mike Zimmer is going to be good <laughs> for the Vikings here. Uh, are you in on on the excitement for the Vikings uh, that's building in this offseason? Yeah, I mean, the reason we like it, too, because it's like a concentrated tree of, like, guys that are going to get the football, too, even with them becoming more of a base 11 personnel team, uh, getting, you know, so K.J. Osborne's going to be on the field a lot more, and if anything were to happen to Thielen or a Thielen's guy that's been banged up the last two years, or Justin Jefferson, you're getting in another bump, like when Osborne played without Thielen last year. So he's become a full-time player, a guy that took strides in year two. You also love that you look at what the Rams did last year, and these guys didn't earn targets, but... Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle combined to run 180 pass routes uh, lined up in the slaughter out wide last season. Mm. Uh, the Dalvin Cook ran 35 of those routes last year in the Minnesota offense. So we're going to get Dalvin Cook and an opportunity to create some, you know, space, uh, you know, get him some targets coming off of his worst receiving season of his career. Man, his receiving stats just, just absolutely fell off the table last year. So there's a little bump for that. And then, you know, Kirk Cousins is one of those guys, like, you know, real-life quarterbacks, you ever win the Super Bowl? No, but, like, this is guy's been just, like, tried and true and, like, being able to get productive points to his playmakers, you know, going back to Washington. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel the excitement, you know, for Minnesota and the upside there. But we really like it because – there's just like we know who's getting the football there. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah we and we knew that even with Zimmer, but I I feel like now there's a little bit of like yeah. a a mystery box ceiling to this team without Zimmer there, and like you said, some of those slot routes could pass over. And right. I mean, I guess it'll really depend on if Zach, if if Kevin O'Connell is more like Zach Taylor or more like you know uh, some of these other guys that have come from uh, the the Shanahan. Uh, Sean McVay tree. All right, going back to Pittsburgh here, we have Kenny Pickett, the Athletics' uh, Mark Caboli reports that the Steelers' Kenny Pickett was exclusively working with the third-string offense in OTAs and minicamp. Johnny, when we look at this, uh, you got some excitement here for Mitch Trubisky uh, as starting the year, and do you think he would be able to start the entire season? I think, yeah, I think Mitch is going to start the whole season. I don't think Pickett uh, wasn't really high on him coming in to the draft. I know that, you know, a, a lot of people started to pick up steam once he landed in Pittsburgh, but I think Mitch is going to prove that he, he, that he is the guy there to at least for this year. Now moving past this year, I wouldn't put any money on it, but I do know that based on Mitch's contract, he gets paid a lot of bonus money for making the playoffs and a number of snaps played this season. So anytime money is involved and players are, you know, risking their career, this could be the last stop for Mitch if he doesn't make it. Uh, so I think it's going to be Mitch Trubisky uh, as the starter, unless, you know, they get knocked out of the playoffs. And then at that point it's, Hey, let's see what the heck we have in and pick it. But I do think Mitch, has the ability to run this offense and run it efficiently and, and certainly better than Big Ben. So, uh, and I like Tomlin as a coach, so I think he'll put him in the right system or right uh, game plan. Well, the drama has continued here for Debo Samuel. ESPN Jeremy's Fowler reports that Debo hasn't officially rescinded his trade request. Austin, uh, this kind of feels like maybe our friends at NBC Sports Edge are just trying to get back into that Debo drama a little bit. But uh, is it nothing or something? Or how do you how do you feel about Debo? I I feel like it is something because I think our comfort levels might be the nothing. You know, as we felt over the last several weeks when we had seen that video of Debo Samuel in the Las Vegas club with the marquee, the little mobile marquee board. That's like Debo staying in San Francisco. And he's like. 
<laughs> and we spent a lot of time talking about how sincere Debo really looked in that moment. He's like, nah, guys, like that ain't me this time. And then we heard news that they're maybe working it out. And then we chilled. And that's really all we got. But if you look at what the official request is, it's there. It hasn't moved away. You know, I haven't heard Debo Samuel said like, yo, me and me and John Lynch are tight now. Like, I haven't heard anything like that. I heard it was cool. So am I concerned on this one? Yeah, I mean, I am a little bit. It, it could be a mirage and it could be all cured up by the time this show is done. We know that. But as of right now, the trade request has not been rescinded and dudes are getting higher and higher contracts. And that was part of the issue. Yeah, I'm still a little concerned, Travis. Yeah, let's see what happens there. It's going to be very interesting to watch that unfold, especially with the Jimmy G stuff as well. And then, you know, that was rumored to be part of why Debo wanted out, you know, that he didn't want to necessarily play with Trey Lance. So we'll kind of see how that unfolds there. Uh, our last piece of news here. Well, uh, actually, our second to last piece of news here is on Jahan Dotson. Basically, Washington wide receiver coach Drew Terrell said that he could not find any negative plays on rookie Jahan Dotson's college film. So, Rich, I just want to ask you really quickly about Jahan Dotson, because he got a bad rap in, Dyn in these dynasty drafts where people, you know, thought that Washington reached. And, and so he became a really good value in a lot of these dynasty drafts. So how about, how about a dynasty take and then quickly a redraft take on Dotson for this year? Yeah, one of my most favorite guys to draft in rookie drafts because of that. I mean, you know, he got, this guy went 16th overall and everyone's lined up to draft Christian Watson over him and Sky Moore because of where they landed, especially Sky Moore. The dude is like, you know, wide receiver like you know what 12 or 13 in the draft and like for him to, to skyrocket just because the landing spot seems pretty you know kind of egregious especially a guy that went with the kind of draft capital of that that Dotson did and if you look at Dotson too like he was good I mean this guy played with man the quarterback he played with at Penn State this this kid uh oh my gosh what a nightmare uh <laughs> one, of the, one of the lowest one of the lowest guys in terms of catchable targets there but he was always open like literally always open when you watched him uh, you know, and also like you talk about a guy that has like a, just a litany of like ridiculous catches on his highlight reel because of the quarterback play he played with, uh, man, he, if you think of like, if you took like maybe the top, like 10 catches of this entire draft class made, I bet like four or five would be Jahan Dotson catches, uh, for sure. Uh, and we talked about like, I kind of believe Washington's gonna be a better team than people think they're going to be this year. So I do kind of like the little bit of upside here. Of course, like they're probably not solved quarterback long-term. You now have Terry McLaurin locked in long-term. So where is the actual fantasy ceiling? But he's a guy I think, uh, got punished too far in the process. Hmm. Yeah, especially in that dynasty, a uh, long-term outlook, definitely. All right, our last bit of news here, and this is some you know no-nonsense no stuff. You can leave it up to our guy, Jameis Winston, here to just continuously you know show us what it's like to really put the workout effort in here. I'm not running, I don't, and I'm not retreating. I'm not running, I don't, and I'm not retreating. Our guy, man. Got so stabilizing muscles. Yeah, of course. I, I wanted to ask the panel here, you know, what this does for you and your ADP with uh, with James Winston. So I'll start with Rich. You know, yeah. like yeah. what a gift, James. I mean, what a gift he is. He's not, he's like. He's not like where like Marshawn was. He's kind of like the bizarro Marshawn, right? Like, yeah. where, like, where, like Marshawn just like consistently did cool ass shit. And like, gosh, what a cool ass dude. Jameis is like the other end, where you're just like, you almost want to feel sorry for him, but like you're just like happy he's living his life because he's clearly like he he, he loves he loves yeah. everything that's gone. He's uh, yeah. very happy in his station in life. 
uh, you gotta respect it. But what a gift yeah. he is! <laughs> Absolutely, what a gift that hey, was. Uh, I'll tell you what, I, I am running. I am running. I'll yeah. tell you that. Super size shake weight. Absolutely. <laughs> is oh my gosh, that's too good. That's too all good. right. Well, that's the news and notes. We're gonna work into some of the work that Rich Rebar has put in. You have in your Twitter bio the Swami of Konami. You are credited mm-hmm. with coming up with the phrase, the Konami code, when yeah. referring to Russian quarterbacks in fantasy. Can you kind of give us a background on the actual Konami code and what you saw in Russian quarterbacks early on that you and, and, and you know, it's three parts, uh, what you feel is the state of the Russian quarterback today? Oh, man, a lot to unpack. So the original article. I wrote in 2013 for Number Fire. Uh, we're almost approaching a decade. Uh, it feels crazy to say. You know, you know, I haven't read it in a while, but I'm sure it's littered with a bunch of stuff that I'd be like, "Ooh, that's 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 not that <laughs> very well written." But the premise, still tried and true, though. Like, I mean, the, you know, rushing rushing production is weighted for fantasy quarterbacks. I mean, you look at what you get for the value of you know a rushing yard for a quarterback compared to a passing yard and a rushing touchdown. And because of it's anchored, it gives these guys so much of a higher floor. And when I originally wrote that article, it was about Tim Tebow uh, and coming off of how effective he was for fantasy, even being the, like literally one of the most objective worst quarterbacks you can watch play football, mm-hmm. throw a football. But he was great for fantasy because of this anchored production. And I wrote it about Terrell Pryor was going to be starting that year for the Raiders. And everyone was like, well, this dude's trash. And, you know, granted, he was. He, he only ended up starting a few games. But while he played, you know, he produced, you know, a QB1 performance in half of his games. Uh, I remember everyone, like, trying to push people to, towards playing him in DFS. That week one that year, they played the Colts inside of Dome. He had, like, you know, he, he had a really solid game in terms of rushing. Uh, and that kind of just kind of, like, snowballed from there. Now, it's really evolved, though, over this, like, recently, these past four or five years, uh, because you're starting to see just like as human evolution has happened and Joe, who, you know, that delivers your mail is like able to run a triathlon. Like there's just better athletes playing <laughs> the position of quarterback that there was even a decade ago. And look at just even this draft class that came in, you might not like any of these guys, but they all were athletic guys. Right. Uh, they all came yep. like a smattering of rush direction. There's, there's just a lot better athletes playing the quarterback position. So now we're starting to get just like where you're getting guys that not only are athletic, but they're also good quarterbacks. And that's what has blown the lid off this thing. And you've really seen this play out the past two years in ADP, that the archetype of quarterbacks that get drafted highly in fantasy football. And then what that has also done into terms of our accuracy in fantasy football drafting. Um, you know, I wrote an article early about this uh, in the in the offseason, if you go back and look at it. And our accuracy of drafting the quarterback position in terms of ADP and how it relates to points per game, uh, nearly 58%, nearly 50% of all per game output can just be explained by ADP. The previous decade, it was just 21%. So like, oh. we know exactly what type of quarterback right now is the kind of quarterback that can break fantasy ceilings. And it's the guys that not only come with mobility, but now you're, you're getting these guys that can rush for 300 plus yards and sometimes 600 plus yards, but also threaten to throw 30 or 40 touchdown passes. Like when you have Lamar Jackson, 2019, what's happened to Josh Allen uh, after his first two years in the league, uh, Kyler Murray, you know, Deshaun Watson back when he was, you know, playing football, these guys that are able to run and give you production at their arms. That is actually comparable to the guys that are the good pocket passers. Uh, you know, you, and then you have guys that are really great passers like Patrick Mahomes and, Justin Herbert, who also give you just enough of that 
like rushing foundation over the course of a season where they're getting you, you know, 40, 50 rushing points over the course of season, multiple rushing points per game, and even have upside, like where you think like last year, remember when Herbert played the Steelers, like he got you that 75 yards rushing and like that's that's two passing touchdowns yeah. uh, on top of your on top of your weight and ADP totally reflects this I mean you look at and not just what's happened to Tom Brady but look at the years Tom Brady Matthew Stafford had last year uh and look at where they go in ADP like the room recognizes this hmm. uh you know yeah those guys can be values and I was on Matthew Stafford last year I loved him I love Brady at ADP but the only way those guys can actually compete on a weekly level and seasonal level is if they throw 40 plus touchdown passes. And that's like a mm-hmm. tough thing to just like bet on happening, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over the course of a season. So the insulation that these runners give you in terms of floor, now that the NFL's evolved and it's a passing league and these guys are all, all capable passers. I mean, you see it in ADP, like look at all the guys that get drafted highly. They're all these guys. Yeah. And how much of the scoring is the impact for you, Rich? Because you talk about it, I think, a little yeah. bit in the Konami Code original article. And we did a Twitter poll and Mr. Miyagi even saying here, I changed my scoring in my league this year, passing touchdown to get six instead of four uh, to even the QB field. We did the poll. 57% of Whisper Nation says we like they either have or want six point versus four point touching. Mm-hmm. So how much does that play into Konami Code and what we're talking about here? So it used to be like a big shift, and it still is for a little bit. If you think about the guys like Jalen Hurts or Taysom Hill, it's still a big impact. But like I said, and now it's just made those other guys that much better. Look at what six-point passing touchdowns does to Josh Allen. Like it, it, it's still like those guys still break the bank. Like the because like I said, it, it's different. Like when I wrote about Tim Tebow versus the, what we have on the plate for us now. <laughs> Uh, you can maybe say, yeah, six-point passing touchdowns is going to ding someone reaching for Jalen Hurts, maybe a Trey Lance or maybe a Justin Fields. But Josh Allen still gets extra weight. Kyler Murray, extra weight. All It still makes those guys because you're getting the passing with those guys now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it does hurt the, it does hurt the, the raw emphasis of the, the floor of the Konami mm-hmm. code, but it still makes this archetype of quarterback, that specific archetype, still so good. Rich, I wanted to know with somebody here who has such an in-depth understanding of the quarterbacking position as it's also progressed as the game and the players have evolved, how do you personally draft quarterbacks in fantasy football? There's a lot of philosophies around this. Wait till the end. You can pick up streamers. No, maybe this guy is worth it in the first round, 101. How do you personally attack the quarterbacking position drafting for fantasy football? Yeah, so like I said, it, it's been an evolution now, especially like they, they said, the accuracy we now have had drafting. And you look at last year, the top 12 quarterbacks in ADP produced nearly 70% of all the top 12 scoring weeks on an individual basis of last season. So now late round quarterback from a streaming stance has become a lot harder. Uh, you know, that's why you see the emphasis of like super flex and two QB leagues now. Mm. But uh, what late round quarterback has now kind of turned into is like late QB one, like there's still like if you look at like historically like being the first guy to the quarterback position is still rough and the mm-hmm. positional leverage you get from having the highest scoring quarterback is still not enough compared to the other positions to make mm-hmm. you want to reach so the way you play it now is you know yeah i'm not going to have josh on i'd love to have josh Allen on my team so i'm probably not going to have him this year because i'm not going to be the first in line i'm probably going to be the second or third unless those guys like the room it falls entirely with the room but you know i'm going to be looking at kind of like that mid to late like qb1 tier 
and uh, not miss like out on like having to like like I said old school where you're like I'm gonna pick up this guy because he has a two hot week stretch to open up and then I'll just figure it out the rest of the way. That's become a lot more difficult to do again because of that subset of quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. That particular subset of quarterback, the guys that are now running and are threatening to throw 30 plus touchdowns and 4,500 yards. You can't combat those guys on a weekly ba- on a weekly basis. The ceiling's just too high. So, so I have a question to follow up with that. You know, earlier we did touch on as well with some of the quarterbacks and how athletic they are, and just because mm-hmm. of genetics and whatnot. So, does that change your viewpoint of the Konamiko? Because, right, like we know that there's a tipping point, right? You said they have to be able to rush and throw for over thirty passing touchdowns. So that there's a pretty wide range of people who could do that in the NFL now. So how has that changed your viewpoint on which quarterbacks you're going and trying to target when you're drafting? Yeah. I mean, it's still like, it, it's something that's growing increasingly in the NFL. Uh, so we're just keep tabs on it until we have like, you know, 20 plus of these guys, it's still going to be hard to get there. Now we definitely have more than a dozen now, like you said, right. so you still can kind of squeeze out some of that value. But like I said, we've been really kind of locked in on knowing who these guys are going to the score the points. Now we, it's just a two year sample. So maybe we've just been extremely lucky and we've run hot, but I mean, you even look last year. I mean, the only guys that were QB ones that were drafted in points per game that were drafted outside of the QB one range were Joe Burrow, who was literally the QB 13, the very next guy, you know, off the board. And, you know, you've got Kirk cousins there. So like, I, it's still very hard uh, to say, like, I'm, you know, you, we want to completely wait and it's impacted the totality position. Uh, but we know that there are still an abundance of usable quarterbacks on a weekly basis. Uh, it's just hurt the streaming stance that this one subset of guys are able to score such high points that it makes the streamers, the Derek Carrs, uh, you see what two this year. I look at what what the Raiders did for Derek Carr this year and what the Dolphins have done for Tua, and it is an absolute upgrade, but it's so hard to really move those guys up in ranks, like into the QB1 range, because like what kind of rushing are you going to get from these guys in the course of the season? Like it's just a really tough tier to crack, and that's why you see more people saying like, hey, we're leaving out these like this really good group of players. Like these are functional good players for fantasy football. Like how do we incorporate these? And that's why you see the super flex and the two QB leagues starting to gain popularity. It's the total inverse of what the hell goes on at the tight end position, where four <laughs> or five people have someone they can play, and everyone else is like, I don't know who the fuck I'm gonna play. This yeah, tight right. End. Uh, it's the opposite quarterback. Quarterback, we've got too many guys to play, and tight like tight end, we have not. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking about all those guys, Mr. Miyagi, one of our, our faithful here, says, hey, Rich, out of all the rushing QBs, which one are you targeting this year and which one has the best value for their ADP, respectively? I mean, it, it, for an entire offseason, it's been Trey Lance so far pretty easily, I think, uh, you, especially when you just look at, one, the draft capital that was invested in him, his rushing ability, his rushing ceiling. This is a guy that had, like – Lamar Jackson-esque rushing production and upside. And we saw how much, like, his first career start, they built the game plan just, like, running him 16 times, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if he doesn't get tackled at the one-inch line in that game, he's a QB1 that week. So you just see how the floor is incorporated. Then you think about his insulation. Uh, he's he's around a, a coaching staff that we believe in and have faith in and Kyle Shannon, a play caller. That the surrounding talent, we talked about if Debo's still there, George Kittle's there, Brandon Ayuk's still there. The, like, there's a lot still there to be excited about for Trey Lance in terms of ceiling. Uh, the only things that have been keeping his ADP depressed are, one, people think he's legitimately bad because he couldn't crack the lineup last year, and then, two, the Jimmy Garoppolo stuff, which completely isn't resolved, so people still think there's a non-zero chance. But 
I mean, I'm still very bullish that week one, Trey Lance will absolutely be the quarterback to the 49ers. Mm-hmm. I, want, I will say I, in the Justin Fields camp, um, I do think that like the hesitation for him is still a little bit underpriced because how much worse is the situation actually from last year? Mm. And yeah. it, I mean, it, it really isn't. And his yeah. la- four of his last five starts, he was a QB one when we saw right. him last year playing on that Matt Nagy Bears team. You and, know, with yeah. So I mean, I do think that there still is some value in Justin Fields. It's just a numbers game. There's just more guys ahead of him that it's hard to vault him. But I do think if you're in these two QB leagues and you're drafting like these best ball leagues, like his price is really good. And he's supposed to be running the same system that Lance is going to be running this year uh, in that West Coast offense. So if that happens, then uh, he could be the steal too. All right. In on Hertz, like it's funny because everyone was out on Hertz last year, and like everyone knows because you know they had AJ Brown and like he got there last year. Remember, it was literally like the Aaron Paul meme last year because it'd be the fourth quarter and he runs for two touchdowns and people. You tweet, you could just see the frustration on Twitter, be like, "Oh, I know this guy sucks." And (laughs) you know, you you see the frustration of the tweets, and he kept getting here as a QB one every week, Uh, uh, and you just see the frustration. That's the Konami code in a nutshell. What the hell, Jalen Hurts was doing last year? The frustration. Yeah. Well, and I think also the, the interesting thing with Hertz is you can kind of draw some very, very tight similarities between him and Lamar Jackson's like awesome season. Right. You can say like, yeah. oh, what what the Ravens did for Lamar, like you can see the Eagles kind of doing for maybe not buying in all the way like the Ravens did, but enough with A.J. Brown and that addition. And we know it's kind of a smart coaching staff if they switched to running the football to win games last year and it worked. So I'm not saying that, you know, I, I'm not saying he's exactly Lamar, but I feel like he can get to Lamar's ceiling. Yeah, people are just assuming that Jalen Hurts is still going to be a bad passer. Uh, he and improved granted, And granted, it might happen. It's what we saw right. so far. It's what we have. We, listen, we thought that with Josh Allen going into year three, uh, you know, things happen. Now, I'm not saying we can't – we're not going to bet on one of those ceiling, like those seasons happening, like he's going to win MVP or threaten MVP, but – there still is a lot room for him to be a better passer. And for that, it's you still to get kind of that marriage uh, where you run into a way better passing season than that's factored into his ADP. Makes a lot of sense there. All right, we're going to move on and look at the Buccaneers here um, and what it, what it kind of means with all the kind of craziness going on here. Rich, you tweeted out that the Bucks have the potential to be a different O with all their moving parts. We should expect it to a degree. There's no way we should expect Tom Brady to throw the ball 719 times again. That said, Brady missing core pieces on the field while in Tampa Bay has still been strong. You have this chart here. Everybody check out Lord Reeves on Twitter. You can check it out. And basically, you you plotted out all these guys that he's missed over the time in Tampa Bay. And I can just look at the yards per attempt and look at the, that. Those are pretty still strong numbers there. Um, even coming off leading the league, Rich says, in just about every counting passing stat, Gamers already account for Brady's inability to run compared to yeah. the field, which you spoke about earlier, which largely prices in the potential volume plus touchdown regression. Uh, you talked a little bit about Mike Evans here, more Mike Evans propaganda. Uh, Brady has been at his worst when missing Evans on the field. The last fully healthy man standing here, although his 5.1% touchdown rate when missing Gronk adds some mortality to the fold a rate that would have been below Carson Wentz's in 2021. So my question comes in here, Rich, that we know Tom Brady is as cold as they come, but <laughs> how how thin is the ice 
for Brady and the Bucks offense. Like if Mike Evans misses any time, the last man yeah. standing, as you phrased it, his top receiver becomes Russell Gage, who I like, but like, come on, as your number mm -hmm. one here. This is a very different situation from years past where he's had multiple top talented wideouts on the same squad there. Evans, Godwin, uh, Antonio Brown, Gronk, all healthy and active. So how thin is the ice? How high is your concern level? Yeah, I mean, we saw a little bit at the end of last year. I don't know if anyone remembers the Jets game last year. With, that was the, yeah, no one, well, everyone remember oh, I, I, I remember it. I got eliminated because of it. Well, everyone remembers the game because that's the AB game. Yeah. But remember, coming into that game, AB was really the only healthy wide receiver. Uh, the, both the running backs were banged up. They were starting Ronald Jones. Uh, Mike Evans was nursing like a hamstring injury, ended up having to play more snaps because of AB's tirade. And remember, they almost lost to the Jets. Like they needed, a, they needed to score like 18 unanswered to come back. Brady wasn't that strong in that game. So, I mean, yeah, if something happens to Mike Evans, like we're really, we're, we're talent devoid here. But listen, we saw Brady three years ago when the talent was not there in New England. It's, he doesn't run, and if, you're, if your touchdown totals are impacted and your yardage totals are impacted, that's how he scores his points. Like you said, there's a razor-like thin line that like Brady needs in terms of output to hit his ceiling. Now, like I said, the gamers have accounted for it. Like He's the low QB1. He's going around QB9, QB10, fair value. Um, but, yeah, you look at this Bucks roster and all the moves, uh, we definitely should not expect them to throw 700 times. Look at they draft a running back highly. Uh, the, the offense that they trade for Shaq Mason to kind of fill in, you know, uh, you know, for the retirement, uh, you know, of Marpet. So it's like they have like kind of have kind of like a, a, a still stabilize themselves of being kind of like more of a team that's going to scale back passing. You only have Russell Gage to fill the void, uh, and I like Russell Gage too. It's fine, fine as AP. I have no no discredit to him because. A lot of people aren't expecting Godwin to play potentially like deep into the season now. Week 11, uh, 12. And you look at Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, and Chris Godwin. They caught 35% of the Bucks passing touchdowns last year, 43% in 2020 with Brady. We're moving all those guys basically from the team for potentially two-thirds of the season. Uh, you know, granted, everyone's still kind of hanging on that Gronk come, Gronk come back and really replacing those three guys with just Russell Gage. We've seen the, the, the depth in this roster. We've done the Tyler Johnson dance. We've done the Scotty Miller dance. Maybe Jalen Darden is a guy you want to elevate. I mean, Kate Otten and Cameron Braid are not going to be Rob Gronkowski. Like, and you, you add a guy, like I said, like Rashad White, who can be kind of like this guy that can contribute in all capacities. Like, this is offense is going to be a little different. Like, people just shouldn't plug in and say, like, yeah, the, the, the pass happy bucks are going to like be doing this. So we should account for some of the personnel changes in the scale back. Like I said, I don't know if that makes like Brady like an unfair value, but I do think with the pieces he's missed him being like coming, coming out of the season, throwing maybe like 28 to 32 passing touchdowns is probably more in the range of outcomes than him pushing 40 again. And if he throws 28 to 32 passing touchdowns, like in the totality of the position, giving all that we just laid out prior to this conversation, like where does that place him? Like, you know, does that just that that makes him Kirk Cousins, right? Like, oh, so whoa. I mean, for fantasy, <laughs> yeah. it is what it is, man. Yeah, like, right. So I'm kind of uh, offended on both ends here because I like Kirk Cousins this year. And <laughs> oh, Brady well, well, last year. So damn, I'm telling you, I said just as I didn't wait on Kirk Cousins. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. Uh, We've talked a, a good amount of quarterbacks and this this Tampa Bay offense, and we're keeping it a little bit late, but I want to get into some running backs here, Rich, if uh, if we could. You tweeted out that over the past 30 years, the RB1 in overall PPR scoring has averaged fewer than 20 touches per game just twice. None have averaged fewer than 18 per game. Um, well, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. 
So we've got a quick question on the volume number. And I wanted to know, yes, volume is king, super important. But for you, any other metrics that go a little bit more nuanced that you really do prioritize, such as their explosivity, elusiveness, ability to break missed tackles. How are you factoring in those other running abilities to the volume? I heard you mention earlier on the show, you kind of agnostic towards the running back talent. So is it really volume is king or are you going to take like a Kareem Hunt who might only get 10 carries, but he does pretty good work with them? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the efficiency metrics running backs like gets already cooked into like elite seasons anyway, mm. like for you to get there and like one, get that amount of volume. Um, and then unfortunately for like a guy like Nick Chubb, who it does like have all that in his resume, we just know like he's missing the one thing. He doesn't get to catch the football and like mm. that matters. And like, that's the, that's the bummer for him. Like he's one of like the, the minor exceptions there. What actually led me down that path though of talking about the running backs and the volume was there's been this groundswell of saying like Aaron Jones could be the RB1 this season and everyone's using the the seven game splits without Devontae Adams although they came like mismatched over like a a, a season's where like the the Packers had to calibrate in season instead of prepare and I do think that the, the absence of Devontae Adams gives Aaron Jones like a path here to catch more passes he's caught more passes every year of his career than the year prior but He's never had more than 18 touches per game in his career. The bugaboo for him is that he's always been a guy that is more efficiency-based than overall volume-based, and that's still going to be a problem because we've seen how they worked A.J. Dillon in last year, and we saw how they worked him in near the red zone. So it was kind of like, does really Aaron Jones have this in his range of outcomes to be the RB1 overall? And I don't believe he does because of that. I don't believe he's going to get the necessary volume. For him to do that, the only two guys that had – under 20 carries per under 20 touches per game that were RB1s in fantasy were Alvin Kamara two years ago and then D'Angelo Williams in 2008. And both those guys had 20 touchdowns. So there's your one out of getting there with Aaron Jones. Uh, for him to be the R, doesn't make a bad pick. I'm saying to be the RB1 overall, uh, you, you need him to score 20 touchdowns. Uh, how realistic is that? He has scored double digit touchdowns the past three years. Um, but then you look at last year too when AJ Dillon and he played when Aaron Jones was healthy week 12 on. A.J. Dillon out opportunity him in the red zone 17 to 5 and 10 to 3 inside the 10 yard line. Is that something that stays static this year as well? Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about just reaching the pantheon of the position being the RB1 overall, like you still need a prerequisite workload unless, like I said, you're just going to score that many amount of touchdowns like it doesn't fucking matter. Like you're Mm -hmm. going to score that amount of touchdowns. And if you run into that type of season where a guy scores 20 touchdowns, then bang, run with it. Uh, but that's kind of what led me on that initial path of doing that. And then also when you're doing the work like that, then you start to see some of their names. And you're like, yeah, man, I really like DeAndre. So if I do, this is like, I love the upside here. And he was a guy that was playing at like a top five, like PPR level, but it's like, all right, did Amon Ross St. Brown show enough at the end of the season? Like they can't put that completely back in the bottle. Cause remember the front half of the season, the lions were throwing nearly 40% of their passes to DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkins and their offense sucked. Like what, like the, what's going to make them recalibrate and say like, are we going to do that again? Like, are we going to do that again? Like, so I mean, like <laughs> they did give Swift, what 40 touches in that one yeah. game. Last yeah, the thing year, you so... like about Swift is that when Dan Campbell took over and when Jamal Williams didn't yep. play, they did lean on him like a workhorse back. Now he doesn't have like kind of that frame. He's like a, you know, a two Oh eight guy. Uh, like, you know, like the Aaron Jones is built. And like Eckler has been such a good receiver it anchors him down. But Eckler also is another one of those guys like that ran into the, you ran into the touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had more touch. He had more points scored in the red zone last year than he had over his 
career combined, you know, do they use Isaiah Spiller? Is there just natural regression? Those types of things come into play. And it doesn't make these guys bad draft picks. I have no problem with it. I like all these players. It's just saying like, all right, if I'm going to take this guy in the first round, does he have the ceiling to be the RB1 overall? And we're getting closer where Aaron Jones is getting close to that point. DeAndre Swift's been at that point at like the one-two turn and Eckler's already a top five pick. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of like, kind of like the thesis of where we started to go down this rabbit hole. Mm. Uh, well, just to summarize, because you kind of got into this too, I want to talk about Eckler and Swift and Jones. Because in your tweet here, you said some players getting drafted as the RB one, as you said, where they're well, in the top twelve guy, yeah, top, yeah, 12. top twelve. Uh, I don't believe get that type of touch volume without injuries. Doesn't make them bad picks. You know, again, right, we don't right. want to be clipped out and to, and told that you hate these guys because you, yeah. you know, <laughs> Twitter, listen, Twitter. Twitter yeah. will get you. Yeah, it'll get you. Uh, run hotter with touchdowns to RB1. I wanted to actually ask you and pivot here a little bit. Uh, Jonathan Taylor last year, did you foresee the workload coming in? Because I remember him being like back end of the first, then middle of the first, and you know they wanted to use Naheem Hines more. He didn't get a lot of touches to start the year, but then again, like we were saying, because they were hiding Wentz, they gave him a lot more work. I'm not saying Jonathan Taylor this year, but did you kind of foresee that as part of uh, his range of outcomes last year? Yeah, I mean, because uh, to go back to kind of, you know, the lead in about the rushing, like a fit in, like incorporating like the talent, right, that maybe hasn't come with the workload. Like we've, we knew that all, we knew like that Jonathan Taylor was like a premier, like running back draft pick uh, in terms of what he had. Look, I mean, just look at his resume coming out of Wisconsin. It was absolutely bananas. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people were worried that, cause remember Quentin Nelson got hurt. People were worried that Wentz was going to miss like a month and like his ADP right, like yeah. started to slide. But yeah, I mean, definitely we believe this. I, I always compare Jonathan Taylor to being like modern Adrian Peterson. And I think that's kind of what, has played mm. out. It feels weird to say modern Adrian Peterson too. Mm. Like, uh, He's playing last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah basically, yeah, <laughs> running touchdowns. But, but what I mean by that is actually uh, last season, Jonathan Taylor, uh, he only only twenty five percent of his PPR points came from receiving, and it was mm. the lowest rate for the RB one overall mm. since Adrian Peterson did it in twenty twelve. So ass. it does. Yeah. So that's kind of where I draw that 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 line from. And I actually can can see the path where, like, you're saying in full-point PPR that, yeah, like, you know, Jonathan Taylor, maybe he's not in full-point PPR. It should be the one-on-one. Maybe I go with the Cooper Cup or Justin Jefferson or even CMC. The problem with Jonathan Taylor and, like, really downplaying him, though, is that he checks too many objective boxes, right? Mm. The only thing he really doesn't check is, like, catching 60-plus passes. But if he's going to catch 35 to 40, we already know it's enough because, like I said, he has the Adrian Peterson's rushing profile, the also this dude scored 20 touchdowns between a behind a Colts offensive line where that's the starting five only played 19% of the offensive snaps together. Like that's mm. going to improve. Matt Ryan is a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. Uh, there's a number of, of data points that kind of showcase that he mm. plays on a team that has a projected high win total. They're in a lousy division uh, yeah. and uh, the age apex where he is in his career versus these other guys that are his peers i mean he's 23 years old but yeah it's i mean so he checks too many objective blind boxes to say like i could like i'm gonna run away from him he's not worthy of it uh that's the reason i still have him over cmc is that if you're just an objective box checker the the colts are gonna be better than the panthers uh he's younger than chris mccaffrey uh all these things just kind of line up uh kind of in his favor still to where you might not get the rb1 because listen the last rb1 that ran back being the rb1 was priest holmes 
That doesn't mean that you run into a bad draft pick because you took the RB1 and he doesn't end up as the RB1. Uh, but, I mean, like, like I said, when you're looking for, like, a profile and what things are getting the boxes are getting checked off, like, Jonathan Taylor just checks too many of them off still. Yeah. Are you are you in that boat of like knowing because yeah that's a great stat and like are you do you go against it because even though all it checks all the boxes are you like well I know what happens I know that RB ones don't repeat so yep. I'm not gonna be in that boat. But I mean like like we talked about earlier picking your draft slot I love kind of like the freedom of what like the front four gives you because what if I want to start with Justin Jefferson I believe and that all we talked about the Vikings. We've already talked about the two, three turn right now on the two, three turn, I can get Saquon and maybe even Alvin Kamara. Right. Like, and, the, mm-hmm. and those are two guys that definitely fit the same profiles of the kind of what we're looking for uh, uh, in terms of being the, getting the requisite touch volume and all these other things. And I'm starting with a, an elite wide receiver too. So you have a lot more freedom at the two, three turn now uh, to, to, to kind of say like, yeah, I, I can start with a pass catcher and then make some things happen. I don't always do that, but it, you, you do have that flexibility this year. Yeah. Zero RB truthers out there just banging the drum right now. They're loving it. Um, <laughs> I want to move though, because you talked about these guys outside of the first two rounds uh, that are most probable options to get 20 plus touches a game. And you said on Twitter, Saquon, Connor, Zeke, Montgomery, potential to get for that. Isn't that same boat? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that as well. You also said that the potential to get there, but need more receptions as part of their volume. Yeah. Cam Akers, Elijah Mitchell. Um, and, and, so when we look at this, you know, you mentioned those dudes going outside of round two, and you mentioned obviously Leonard Fournette. Who would you have to like if I had to make you plant your flag on the most likely to get to that twenty touch a game marker out of the even the six guys we mentioned? Uh, who would you go with there? I mean, I hate to keep making everyone roll their eyes, but easily Saquon. I mean, mm. uh, look at he's twenty five years old. He he's still twenty five. I don't know. Everyone thinks he's probably a little older. He has that Jonathan Taylor s like pedigree coming into the NFL. The athleticism, the draft capital. They have they have nobody behind him. Their backups right. Their Matt Breida is their backup running back yeah. right now. A dude that hasn't been like it, multiple NFL coaching staffs three years in a row have not wanted to put Matt Breida on the field. And then you look at what Joe Schoen did. He did exactly what he did in Buffalo. They go out and get cheap veteran offensive linemen, and then they use a high draft pick on Evan Neal. But they add Mark Glowinski. They get Max Garcia. They get John Feliciano. And Andrew Thomas has got a massive leap in year two. Like, you start to put it together, like, this offensive line kind of looks decent right now. Uh, The problem is with Saquon is, like, do the Giants win enough requisite games? to like kind of give him a high ceiling because this is, I mean, this is a team last year that scored a touchdown on 12% of their drives. And is the quarterback good enough to get that, to rise that tie? All questions that still granted are inflected in his ADP. Um, but yeah, I think when you factor in like age, what this roster is going to need him to do, it hasn't happened yet in the NFL, but I would love to see a team like, and I make this happen, but like, what if Saquon's just like absolutely going nuts and the Giants are, like, able to flip him in season. This, this is pie in the sky. <laughs> we never see shit like this happen in the NFL. But, like, because the Giants basically were open, like, hey, we'll take some offers on him this offseason. And they clearly didn't get what anything close to what they still valued him as. But, like, man, what if in season, like, a team lost a player, a team really wants to make a run for it, and you've got this, like, you maybe 
you know, you, you could make a move for him. It seems base. like, especially New York and Carolina, like if they, these guys pop, like get out of those contracts. Let's go. Well, Remind well, me of Trent Saquon, has, Saquon you can trade because he's in the, the fifth year option here. Uh, but like CMC, they can't like CMC. Yeah. They've got to eat too much dead money. Right. Um, but we never see like stuff like this happening in the NFL. I would love to see like more like baseball NBA type trades happen in the NFL. Uh, Trent because- Richardson was the last one I remember at the running back spot. Remember they oh, sent him over to the Colts, but that was clearly they knew behind the scenes what was right. going on, and yeah, that was it wasn't all very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, at the two-three turn though, you can get a guy like Fournette, you can get a Saquon, uh, you know, you can get James Conner in the third round, uh, you know, and then potentially these guys like Acres and Elijah Joe Bob. You know, you guys had mentioned too. I think in the open, like like Brees Hall is one of these guys you can bet on, right? Like. Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't look good on paper. It looks like there's going to be a split into like some capacity uh, for him to like not get to that apex, the 20 touches, because, you know, Michael Carter was really good as a rookie. And you look at his production, like it's not like he was terrible. It's just like this is why you don't bet on guys with Michael Carter. Like we talk about archetypes all the time. And Michael Carter is one of these another tweener backs. I mean, you have a 212 pound guy like it's coaches in the NFL are very reluctant to give guys that are built like that like workload high workloads in the nfl it usually only comes out of necessity uh and we saw them immediately say like we have to get another biggie bigger body in here because remember that that whole depth chart got kind of pillaged last year uh you know they're playing guys like austin walter at points of the season uh so they want to add a guy that can like be a banger and have they can take these take a pounding so they add a 220 pound guy uh you know but michael carter was a guy he averaged he was 15th among running backs with 100 or more touches last year in yards per touch so he's an effective player it's just he's still probably never gonna be able to like hit that he's never gonna be a 300 touch guy in the nfl just it's really hard for guys that are in that kind of weight class to get there we talked about it just with really good players ahead of this with austin eckler and aaron jones and, and deandre swift um so I would say though he's still one of those guys to bet on because if you're looking for like the discount, you know, you're looking for that rookie discount potential for more upside. Like he would be kind of one of those guys. Um, and like I said, Elijah Mitchell had 20 touches last year per game. It's just two catches per game aren't going to get it done. Right. It's the the not all the touches maybe being created equal there at that point too. Right. So I just want to make something very clear though, Rich. You know, as Mike says here, no eye roll. We love it. Go Saquon. This will always be TFW will always be a safe space for you to come here and talk about Saquon Barkley. Okay, Rich. All right. I mean, listen, he's another one of those guys. Listen, you there's a subset of people, contingency people, you cannot get to draft Saquon this year. Just because yeah. they're out. They're just out. And you know, mm-hmm. hey. Uh, I don't play fantasy football like that, but uh, I, I get it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you're hurt. People love, like, you know, they love players. If, if player won me money, I'm going to redraft that player. And if a player costs me money, I'm going to ignore him. It's the way it goes. It is. Human <laughs> nature. Recency bias. So speaking of, like, kind of these higher level things, we, before we end the show here, and Rich, we just really appreciate your time and everything here. But maybe some, like, core value principles you have in fantasy football that you'd like to share with Whisper Nation as we close this thing out. Um, I mean, just a couple of things like one, uh, don't be like hell bent on like focusing like a lot of because the summer is literally seven months of us talking about the 2022 mm. season, right? We spend seven months saying this player, that player, that player. Remember, you'll be lucky to get to the end of your fantasy season with 60% of the roster you drafted. Don't mm. think like you have to win your draft. Game granted, you, granted, you can run into some players. You drafted Cooper Cup last year at value. You were probably in a really good spot. But like 
still roster management in season and playing the game of fantasy football still is going to come down to a lot more than your draft. That's why I always tell people, don't be scared. Like when people draft balanced, right? Like they want to draft a balanced roster. They don't have holes. Don't be scared to leave your draft with a hole because knowing what your weakness is already coming the season means that you built strengths elsewhere and you mm. can calibrate. It's a lot easier to calibrate for one weakness when you already know it yeah. than skating on ice that's this thin and then getting multiple cracks in it and now you're trying to you're trying to fix a lot of different things strengthen your strengths yeah so i mean i always tell people that all the time like you know focus on like you know building draft strengths don't be scared to leave the hole with your roster uh don't be scared to post your thing on twitter because someone's gonna be like oh dude your tight end sucks your your rb2 sucks your wide receiver three sucks if that's your one week that means you probably have a strength elsewhere and you know hey going into the season i know i've got this one blind spot and i'm gonna use the season to calibrate here um yeah that'd be just one of the things i would say is kind of a takeaway but uh uh, don't get caught up in the seven months of us having to talk about these players and that you have to come away with your winning your draft. Okay. <laughs> Man, dropping the knowledge as always, Rich. We absolutely appreciate it. Why don't you tell Whisper Nation what you're working on, where they can find you right now? Uh, all the stuff I've been doing this offseason at sharperbloodhouse.com. Uh, we never paywall anything in the offseason, so everything I've done so far mm-hmm. is up. I'm doing a team regression series where it's kind of like a top-down look of like where we can look at like where teams could regress and then you buy the byproduct can see like, oh, well, maybe I'm undervaluing a player on this team due to this specific thing. Uh, and, you know, things like going to projections and stuff like that. So uh, definitely check that series out. It's pretty interesting. So uh, definitely get over there. Yeah, and, and the link for Sharp Football Analysis in the description there. So if you're watching on YouTube, go check that out. Well, Rich, on behalf of the Fantasy Whispers, we thank you so much for being here. For Johnny Game Time Hicks, for Austin Sear, I'm Big Travi. We're the Fantasy Whispers, and we're out. Peace. Peace. Right here. Hey, do you like mock drafts? We do, too. You can come back every Monday and mock with us. Check out one of these videos, and make sure you're liked and subscribed. Rich, man, 